so many people in Transformers, and uh, all that was shed for us now, despite the havoc that sin wants to, to lives. And so, God, we submit this time to you, and I pray, as Lord, as we look at it, a subject that might be clear to some, that you would um, give our eyes, and that we would grow in our love for people. All right, well, this is a, a topic that my hunch is most of you are generally pretty unfamiliar with, or that you have heard... Um, Maybe people talking about, maybe you've seen it on TV, pertaining to younger people in particular. And uh, there was really no better person I felt like equipped to uh, bring you in the world of self-injury than my wife. And so she's going to share with you from a counselor's perspective and just from um, a biblical perspective, how do we address this? How do we think about this? What do we do with this? Um, and so what I want to do is I want to give you a definition and then I'm going to ask um, one of our own to come up and give a brief testimony. So if you look over to the board... Uh, there's a psychological definition, body tissue, about suicidal attempt, and for socially, this is more of the psychological definition, but there's called Urban Dictionary, which helps quite a bit getting inside of the lingo. Uh, active, deliberate body, out suicidal attempt, or with an open flame. Uh, so you can I was wondering how I was going to get up there. Got great hips. I thought this was going to be a lot easier. It was a lot easier in my room. Um... Well, how does someone begin to cut themselves? Um, I was 47 years old when I started to cut my arms. <laughs> not going to do this. <laughs> I was in so much physical pain at all the time that I could deal with that, but I couldn't deal with the emotional pain. That was something else. I had struggled my whole life with self-worth and not feeling loved. I had heard the cutters did it because it would relieve the stress and inner pain where Satan came in. Boy, was he alive and well in my head for a while. Um, the voice that tells you to go ahead, try it, and at a low point I did, and I was amazed. Honestly amazed at how wonderful I felt, which was scary. Um, calm just enveloped my body, and it was almost like a high. It was almost like everything was okay. I felt, I felt better until I had to hide my arms. Then it got worse. Shame took over, and it became this vicious cycle. Um, people say that it, you know, it, it is, you do it for attention. It's not for attention. It's, it's not to get anybody's attention. It's really not. Um, this, it was not my goal to, to have anybody notice me. In fact, the shame was so overwhelming at time. People would notice it, and it was getting hard to make, mis make up excuses as to why I had these marks on my arms. Then I started on my legs. Well, then I had to have a hip replacement, so I had to stop there. Um, because I didn't want the doctors to notice. Um, God and I had a lot, a lot of conversations about this, and because um, I'm a Christian. I know God loves me. I know I'm precious in his sight. I know that, but why didn't I feel like that? Um, I, what was wrong with me? This fueled the cutting more. Even my family didn't know I was doing it as much as I was. Um, I asked God to slowly take the desire away, because I knew cutting wasn't the answer. It was just one of Satan's lies. It did it. <laughs> if anybody has questions, you can ask. <laughs> I think so much guts. Um, that takes so much guts to be able to get up and share something so vulnerable, especially um, for whatever reason. Oftentimes in church, it's the place where we feel like we should be all together, and yet the cross already reminds us that we're broken. And it is should be no surprise when we struggle. 
And I don't know, a person um, does not have consistent struggles in their life. And sometimes the older we get, the more deep they go, and the more we bury them. And yet, there's no safer place than, than should be God's people in the church. Linda, we just love you. I want to thank you for sharing that. I know that's just probably... A... <laughs> I don't know. If it were me, I would have been very nervous uh, for some days. We should have called you like an hour before just to let you know. Well, that, I'm so sorry to hear that. And uh, I never actually, I never knew that about you. Uh, I think one of the challenges that most in this room will have to navigate is how do I empathize? Um, how do I get inside of the mind of somebody who would be inclined to do this? I mean, I, on one level, I hate pain. It's very hard for me to like put myself in that category, and yet um, this becomes so important for us to love people really well and to understand um, that really we're not very different, I mean, at the end of the day, you know? And I think this is a beautiful opportunity for us to empathize, also to pray, um, because this is something that um, we deal with quite a bit, sadly. never want anybody to have to ever feel like they're at a point where they want to do that. So what I'd like to do now is I want to draw your attention to your tables, and uh, there are some table talk questions there. And uh, I want you guys to talk about this as a group. And if you get each table can have a spokesperson uh, so that after uh, Brianne um, talks through um, about self-injury, I'll come up and uh, facilitate some discussion with, with your table. My notes are not on here mostly. Oh, this Something really simple. Um, um, I wonder if, um, do you have your phone? No, you, have, you have to play the song. I know, do you have your phone? You went to go get it? You guys can plug in right here, or you can sit right there. There's three seats right there, though. Nathan, there's, um, there's a packet on that little table. All right. Go ahead and wrap up where you're at right now. Then I'll figure out how to work this. I think it is working. Now it is. All right. Um, well, I hope you guys enjoyed kind of getting your heads a little bit into the subject that we're going to be talking about today. And um, I want to just tell you that I am extremely excited. And um, with the amount of information and passion I have for self-injury, we could be here all weekend. Um <laughs> But I'm going to try to get you to church. Um, so, um, one of the things I think that is so common with self-injury is that lots of times people create labels and um, concepts of who it is that self-injures. And I really don't believe that most of those are true. So, my goal with you walking out of this classroom today is that you will have gotten inside the mind of someone who self-injures to be able to empathize and understand where they're coming from, and that you will have a greater understanding of how it is that Christ directly um, seeks to meet the hurts of that individual and those individuals. Um, so, before you assume and create labels, I just want to think... Um, I really want each of you to think about this for your own self because I believe that everyone has uh, ways that they have, um, they seek to accomplish the same thing that someone who self-injures accomplishes um, in a way that's maladaptive, in a way that is idolatrous, um, but maybe in some ways that are healthier. So, for example, um, we're going to talk a lot about what's the heart of self-injury, and I believe um, we're going to get to it. But the summary is that it's for self-regulation and control. Um, but I believe that all of us in this room have ways that we have adapted in our lives to kind of 
do the same behavior. So whether it be overworking, right, um, over-exercising, uh, hitting the table when you're mad, uh, numbing and putting out of your mind and not really thinking and dealing with what's in your life, um, eating disorders, eating disorders and self-injury are um, best friends. Um, again, like I said, drowning yourself in your work, um, all sorts of different ideas. We could probably brainstorm for a while different ways that all of us kind of um, obsess and seek to numb ourselves out or deal with stress. Um, like, so, like I said, some of them are healthier ways, and that's what we encourage, right, are healthier ways of doing that. That's at least a secular point of view is, okay, instead of cutting, go and exercise, um, which is good. I would totally also think that that's a good idea. But I really believe that Christ is the answer to the pain that people are experiencing. So without that, you could exercise, and that could just become another addiction and another idol for your heart. Um, without Christ being the answer, um, it's just going to continue over from one addiction to another, which we call transfer addiction. Um, so, um, uh, next slide, like 92 gadget, um, is, I want you to take a trip with me. I don't know if any of you remember the Magic School Bus, but it was a television show, and it's a scholastic book series in which, um, I just forgot the lady's name. Does anyone remember? Ms. Yes, Miss Frizzle. She takes her students, so let's say they're studying the human, you know, heart. They will hop on the Magic School Bus, and they will go into the human heart, and they will see how the blood flows, and they will see how it pumps. On the next couple weeks that I get the privilege of being able to, to talk about these different subjects, I hope that your experience is like being on the Magic School Bus. That as we talk about it, you are into the mind of what it means to self-injure and what it means to be depressed and eating disorders and other things that we're going to talk about, and that you will really just see, oh my goodness, like, I totally empathize and understand what it is that's going on here. Um, I just wanted to read a couple other um, little clips of people that I've had the privilege of working with in the past, um, of, like kind of different self-injures. So we're going to start down. These are their ages, right? And so that's kind of how I call my clients after I see them. By the way, my name is Brianne, and um, I am a counselor, and so I've had the privilege of working in three different counseling um, places. Um, right now, right now, I work out of our church and kind of run a small little counseling center out of our church. And so um, these come from all experiences. None of them are at Village Church. These are all other places that I used to work. So, 21. She came to me every week and it brought me to my knees. Brand new, I knew that I was in over my head. But she had tried so much else and was running out of hope. Young and beautiful and so smart. I wanted to throw up when I heard her story. I wanted to run away and hide from the possibility of such evil and embrace her all at the same time. I had no adequate words to tell of her hurt. So young, but with decades of sexual and physical and emotional abuse under her belt. Hidden in her house from the outside evil world, her only comfort was actually the greatest evil of all. Innocence had turned against her and her very core knew it was wrong. But how do you get help when you're a 10 and you don't know anyone but your abuser? She would break away and she would run to the grocery store begging God to save her, but no one would show up. So she would go to the bathroom in Dominic's and she would cut and she would use whatever tool in the grocery store she could find. Inside of her thighs, down her legs, up in her armpits and wherever would not show. And after years she dug so deep that she would pass out from blood loss. Fights would happen, and she would run and just instinctively grab the scissors and dig them in deeper and deeper and deeper into her tissue. Hospitalization after hospitalization, nothing changed, and the reality remained hidden. She was so numb that she had to be revived. Told again and again by other people, if she just believed in Christ, she would not do this to herself. That only caused her to hide more, and she was unacceptable in there. Number 14. 
Perfectionism had no outlet for her expressive heart. She needed to talk and talk and talk, and she had no voice at home against herself with no voice. Number 34. She had too much on her plate. A drug-addicted mom, all masked with church responsibility. She cut shallow and long because it reminded her she had a soul. She had so many secrets and she couldn't. Number 13. It calmed her down. She pulled out her eyebrows because the very act calmed her down. Like a deep breath for her heart, it gave her room to breathe and just chill out. A world would swirl, or swirl around her unstable and it made it all stand still for just the Number 16. Wanted to be clean and felt so dirty. And she tried to purify herself with her own blood. <clears throat> so one of the couple things I want to do is give you a couple of statistics. Um, I've had the opportunity of working with Alexian Brothers Hospital. They are one of the leading self-injury clinics um, in the United States, but especially in the Midwest. They're kind of like the premier place for self-injury. They have a lot of research that happens in their hospital, and they do a fantastic job um, once it gets to the severe you know, point of hospitalization. So, a couple of different things. And if you turn over your sheets, there's also places, I mean, I'm not going to make you take notes, but there are places to take notes as we go along in the different categories. So, self-injury happens in many different cultures and geographical areas. Um, most prevalence with cultures that do not hold high value for self-expression. It happens everywhere, but it is truly a suburban phenomenon. All socioeconomic classes. 95% of reported self-injuries are female, possibly because self-injury is generally more socially acceptable with males um, because the ways that they act out are just kind of like accepted by our culture, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Females' highest rate of self-injury is ages 15 to 24, with a growing population of ages 35 to 42. Males' highest rate of self-injury is ages 12 to 34, so you see it starts a little bit longer and goes a little bit longer. And the general onset age is 10 to 16, We're currently decreasing in research to age 8. Um, the general population estimated 4 to 38%, which is huge, right? You're like, oh, 4 to 38%, good stats. Um, but why that is, and if any of you are familiar with stats, because that's like reported ones, right? So we have like so many hospitalizations, so many people who come to the emergency room, and then we can only guess, wow, these people were worse enough to come to the emergency room. We have to kind of increase it that probably it's bigger and better than what we're actually seeing. So 14 to 21% of high school students, 17 to 35% of college students. Um, psychological disorders such as bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, and generalized anxiety may also be common in self-injuries. Methods of self-injury. So if you don't want to look at this one, don't. Um, but I put a couple pictures on here because this is the reality of it. Um, so, cutting, right? So, most common is like razor blades, but also any kind of tool. I mean, I've known people, paper clips, toenails, fingernails, anything. Scratching, picking, pitching. Um, you often see with kids, um, you know, picking off like their scabs or mosquito bites. That technically does fall underneath this category because it's like a distraction or it's something to pick at, and I don't know about it while they do it. Uh, but, like, not letting wounds to heal, that's a big one. I don't know if it's on there. Rubbing erasers. Actually, when I was in junior high, um, this was big among my friends. They would rub with an eraser off their skin to the point where blood, um, oftentimes in the initial um, but it's true. Hair pulling, especially eyebrows and arm hair. Fighting, which we talked about males being socially acceptable. Fighting is definitely a form of it, causing injury to another person or itself. Embedding. Okay, so, um, does this have that laser thing on it? Cool. Oh, you get, uh, I don't see the laser. Um, the x-ray picture right there, okay, so this is an x-ray of an arm. This is embedding. Embedding is embedding a foreign object in your body. This is actually the most growing trend in self-injury. Those are all pins, like sewing pins that someone has embedded in their arm. Okay, the pictures I have seen, whoo, it could have really got you all going, but I, I was nice. That's a very nice picture. Um, but small metal objects, 
um, embedding them in your skin and leaving them. So then what happens, okay? The wound doesn't heal up because you have a foreign, dirty object inside your arm. It gets pussy, and then it, you get to, like, take care of that wound, and that is, like, a healing process emotionally to be able to, like, care for something inside yourself and not let it close up. And it's often significant of, here, I have this wound I'm, that's inside of my heart that's not closing up, and here I have it on my arm also. Carving. Um, carving is, see the initials on there, SCF, so it's, like, more of a design um, which is actually in some circles becoming like the new tattooing where you actually hire an artist to carve something into your body. Um, burning, electrocuting. Electrocuting is a huge one that's becoming more, um, I mean, if you just think about how absurd that is and dangerous, um, but it's becoming more and more popular. Punching walls, putting yourself in risky situations, ingesting, hu- uh, okay, um, I have to tell this story and scar all of your minds like it scarred my mind. But one of the most common things that Alexian Brothers is seeing right now is um, ingesting razor blades. But what they do is they put gummy bears all along the sharp parts so they can swallow in their um, throats. And then what happens is um, as the gummy bears are digested in your stomach, then as it goes through your intestinal tract, it basically carves out your entire intestinal tract. And so it's a true internal pain until you, um, you know, pass the razor blade. Um, I mean, but if you can imagine the damage that that's doing your eye tracks, it's just unbelievable. Um, self-surgery, broken bones, excessive tattoos and piercings, which you can see with that guy down there, um, which you can't see that clearly in that picture, but it's pretty intense. And self-flagellation, which is different than self-flagellation. Self-flagellation is um, very common in many religions. If you guys have seen the movie... Um, um, Angels and Demons um, by Dan Brown. There's an example of that too. And Martin Luther actually used to participate in self-flagellation because it's like a way of penance. And so it's like hurting your own body um, in order to like receive the grace of God and experience like what it is for your sin. And, um, I'm going to talk about it a little bit more. So next slide. There's a, just a nice little kitty for you to look at um, to clear your mind from all those um, images. All right. So, I want to talk about the background for a second, because this to me is really important. Because some people believe that self-injury is a new phenomenon, and it's really the complete opposite. Um, We are going to look at it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's talked about all throughout the scriptures as a common practice. And um, it's documented in biblical times, in virtually every culture, and in every era. And so, although obviously right now people are getting kind of more creative creative, if you look at lots of different, especially like um, South American and um, Indonesian like tribes back in the day, so many of them is so common to embed things, so common to create all sorts of different physical, um, I, I went to Ecuador when I was in high school and they have like the earplugs that are like cool now, but they're like down to their shoulder earplugs and they use the balsa wood, but the process, they don't do it very much anymore because the process of stretching your earlobe out was considered a spiritual experience of going through that pain, and then so the more spiritual you were, the greater like earlobe bids you had, um, and so it's just everywhere, and so I want to have, I handed out three um, sheets of paper, and so they're numbered one, two, and three, who has number one? Shelly, and then you have two, right Bert? Yeah, and then Andrea has three. Oh. I think my self-injury pictures were too much. Julie, you want to help, too? Nathan, can you hold the door open for them, please? Um, don't faint. If anyone else needs to not faint, drink some water. Um, and we'll go back to the kitty picture. Um, okay, so go ahead and read. Wait, your one? Okay, and then, Andrea, your three, right? Okay, go ahead. Go ahead, Andrea. All right, so that just kind of concisely summarizes a lot of the history and the cultural expansiveness of this issue. Um... I think for all of us as Christians, this concept of 
blood and, and the need for blood to atone for our sins is something that we think about. Um, but it's very fascinating to do a study of cultures around the world and religions that all of them um, have some kind of innate sense that they need blood in order to cleanse themselves and purify themselves. Talk about more. So, just a little bit more. Late 1990s began to receive more media coverage. This is why people think that it's kind of a new phenomenon because celebrities started doing it. It got in the spotlight and it began to get more um, coverage with TV shows. Called the new anorexia because, um, again, it really facilitates the same kind of process as an eating disorder does, except um, in a different way. All right. So, what's the attraction? Right. What is it that compels people to start this behavior and to be interested in it? Um, here are just some of the most common um, thoughts or, or reasons. Um, it works. I don't know why it worked, but it works. I need a way to release the pain. I couldn't handle it all. I just wanted to feel something, anything. That's a big one I've gotten. The wounds make my infinite pain finite. Um, I just feel so alone. I can't say it any other way. Self-injury makes my invisible pain visible. I need to control something. I had to quiet my racing thoughts. I wanted to prove that I am really hurting. It purified me. It gave me something I could take care of. And for me, love is pain. Proverbs 8.36 says, But he who fails to find me injures himself. And all who hate me love death. And that just for me is just the, one of the biggest verses for self-injury. It's like if he, it's like oh, you know, like I have this inner pain that I need so much to be taken care of. And if you can't find me, if you can't find Christ, you know, even in the in the even if you know Christ, but in the recesses of that emotional pain and letting Him control that pain, um, you know, it's just it's it's upon Him to injure Himself. Um, so what is at some of the core heart issues? And these are not on a slide. And I'm just going to read them, but you guys can take notes and just think about them. Um, perfectionism. Who are chronically invalidated as children, especially people who are taught that emotions were inappropriate or unacceptable. Stop crying. Stop it. Stop it. Family dynamic problems, abuse, an internal sensitivity, constant changes in mood, not knowing how to regulate. Oh, I feel sad. I'm so happy. I'm so sad. <gasps> not being able to regulate that. Poor body image. Inability to express intense emotions. Maybe they grew up in a home. Maybe they grew up in a culture. Whatever it is where people weren't ex taught to express, I feel sad right now. And they went and talked to someone about how they felt sad. And they weren't given language and they weren't given words to be, or a freedom to be able to talk about how it is that they feel. Depression. Anger. An impulse control problem. Constant procrastination. Low self-esteem. Anxiety. Poor coping methods. Trouble forming intimate relationships, right? So then you don't have anyone to go talk to, and so you're left by yourself. And for me, the way that I could summarize all of those, and this is what I think is at the really, really the core of everyone who I've gotten to work with, is the inability to self-regulate, right? So I'm feeling all these things. You kind of imagine, like, these emotions, they're deep, they're high, they're low. It's just constant, and you have so much stuff going on inside of you, and you don't have a way to, like, regulate what's going on. So this provides a regulation method, which is also, you could summarize as control, right? I'm going to control this whirlwind of stuff I'm feeling on the inside of me um, and what's going on. Um, so if I had to summarize four reasons to self-injure, it would be to feel alive, right? These, this is the statistic summary, actually, too. Um, these are not my summaries. Number two, to bring down and quiet their soul. Number three, to numb out. Number four, to communicate or get attention. And lots of people have the myth that this is primarily an issue that is 
to get attention. I think it is to communicate, even it's just communicate to yourself, but to get attention. And statistics say that like 0.8 to 1% of everyone who begins a cut, it's purely for the reason of getting attention. Um, this is a very helpful diagram that is in your notes. It talks about the two, um, Arts and doesn't finish. Two different reasons here we have at the top of, of kind of the things that go on that start in the self-regulation thing. Either we have a hyper-stress, which is feeling overwhelmed, unable to cope, they're exposed, they feel sensitive, and then something happens that triggers it. And then seeing how the urge, come over here, the urge is here all the time, right? Background, background, background. So that triggers them to think, oh, maybe I should try that, and then so they self-injure. And what does that lead to? It feels the feeling relieved, released, and inconvenient for about... Or we have this disassociation part, which sounds like a really big, scary psychological word, and it can be. But in this case, it's just feeling numb, lost, unreal, alone, disconnected, just not even an entity. And so they self-injure in order to be alive, functional, and able to act. And it's like kind of a wake-up call, like a, you know, like people are like, slap in the face or whatever. That's kind of like the exact same thing. It's like, okay, snap out of it, kind of like action or behavior. So this leads to, if you look at your next, this is where the addiction begins. So down here we have self-harm. So we have the act of self-harm brings us the temporary re relief, which brings on the shame and grief, which Linda did a fantastic point of job of painting in her story. Brings on the emotional suffering, which brings on the overload. Remember that hyper-stress or just the numbing out part, which brings on the panic, which brings on self-harm again, right? So this is how the addiction begins, and it begins as a cycle, and it's like, a, a, you know, like a hamster, and it's just in that wheel, and it's like... And it is so hard to break out of that cycle unless you do something different and you have to stop at some point of that cycle. And so when we work with people, we always say that you can stop any part of that cycle, but you have to decide to do something different. We'll talk about that in a second. Comes compulsive. Um, the, the first story that I read you was the most compulsive self-injury I've ever had. If she had any kind of stressful situation, she would literally, like if she was right here, she would literally just start injuring herself on whatever it is that she could get her hands on. She didn't care. All scissors, knives... Sharp objects were not existent in her house. They had locked up any drawers. She would literally just start to throw herself on the ground, try to cut herself on the wood or anything. It was so compulsive. It was like she would kind of disassociate, and it was so compulsive to try to change what she was experiencing by causing this pain. Um, and the thing is, too, is the body becomes compliant, and so your pain level elevates, and so the next time you usually have to go deeper and, and longer in order to get that same rush that you got the first time. Um, I want to make a difference that some self-injurers use it as a lifestyle, right? They don't know what else to do with their emotions, period. So this is the only way they regulate their emotions, so it's constant. It's all day long. It's in the bathroom at school, when they get home, before they go to sleep, and some use it occasionally to feel better, just in those moments of hyper-stress. Um, all right, so what do we do about this? This is the, where we really just have um, an exciting, exciting, exciting opportunity. Um, let's see. Is read that for me. Well, all right, Bert, you're real close. Go for it. So, I also want to read two other verses. Job 5:18 says, "For he wounds, but he also binds up. He allows injury, but his hands also heal." Hosea 6:1 says, "Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but He will heal us. He has allowed injury to us, but He will bind up our wounds." So. One of the things that I just get, like, way too, not way too excited, because I think it's totally valid to get this excited, but I feel like I just want to burst at the seams with, is that I believe that self-injures have an innate, unique alignment to the message of the gospel. Okay, so anyone who has an addiction, anyone who struggles with anyone, the gospel is for everyone. But self-injures have this innate sense inside of them that, wow, like, there's something going on with my blood or my ability to wound myself 
and I got to do something about it to make myself feel clean, to try to regulate my own emotions, to try to take care of all this pain. And it's like, wow, they're already so close, right? But they're thinking that they need to do it on their own time and rather than the fact that Christ has done it for us already. And so I love these two verses. It says, Hebrews 9.22 says, The law says that almost everything must be made clean by blood, and sins cannot be forgiven without blood to show death. Leviticus 17.11 says, The life of the body is in the blood. And as we look at this in different cultures, and as we look at this, um, you know, with the people that are around us who struggle with this, they have an innate sense that somehow this is what is rushing to them, is adding those moments of stress, but it's going about in a wrong way. Um, lots of times, though, to allow another to take their place is very challenged, but utterly freeing. You know, it's kind of like the whole concept of penance, the Catholic concept of penance, you know? Like, here it is, like, the same self, self-flagellation. Like, I have to carry this upon myself. I have to make this better. I need to do something. And it's hard. I mean, I think all of us can relate to that, that it's hard when we have things inside of our own heart or things that are going on in our life that we can't control and make better. Um, we, we would like to, you know? I'd say all the time, I would love to be the Holy Spirit because, <laughs> you know, for myself, I could be like, ah, I'm changed now. Ah, you're changed now. And it'd be so much easier. But... I am not the Holy Spirit, and I'm so glad of that because he's bigger and stronger and wiser than I am. Um, but it is very hard for our human nature to submit and allow brokenness in our own lives and allow them to, him to be able to control circumstances that we don't necessarily. 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Martin Luther said, because again, like I said before, Martin Luther is someone who definitely struggled with this, and he struggled carrying it into... Um, this desire, as he, you know, as the Protestant Reformation began, and as he began to understand who it was that Christ had paid for all this stuff, and his perspective was wrong. I love this quote. He says, "When the devil says that you deserve hell and damnation for your sins, say yes, and what of it? I have a Savior who paid for that in my place." Um, so, one of the biggest things that you can do, and I got to kind of talk faster than I'm already talking here, um, is offer them Christ. So, like in any hurt or addiction, in the attraction right, is the answer. So if this attracts you to self-injury, if feeling alone attracts you to self-injury, what is going to be the answer for stopping that? The truth, the fact that you are never alone and that Christ sees you at all times and that he has also given you himself and also a body of believers to be able to take care of you. So um, one of the biggest things that if you have a friend, if you have a family member, if you have people at school that you understand what this hurt of their heart is, um, what do they seek to accomplish through self-injury? And it's not going to be like, hey, what do you seek to accomplish through self-injury? Well, I'm seeking to accomplish. It's not necessarily like that easy. <laughs> but getting to the root of it and trying to understand it, um, that quest will only be satisfied when it ends in the person of Jesus Christ in an intimate relationship. Right? And so I'm not really a simplistic person that says, hey, they just need to know Jesus and poof, it all go away. But, th- but at the same time, yes. So no, but yes. Which is a common theme that's going to be in your sermon today. Yes, but no, but yes. Um, so, um, here's some of the little um, quotes that we encountered before. I want to take two of them, and I want people to be on the edge of their seats ready to answer the question. Ready? I want you to think, okay, if this is the attraction for these people, shout out for me what is the answer for them in this part. Otherwise, I would call a name. So, which one? I couldn't handle it all, right? So, what is the truth that corresponds with that? Absolutely. And there's actually a bunch of verses on the, I forgot to say this, on the back of your packet, too, that relate to these answers. But you're absolutely right. I can't handle it all. And that's why I look people in the face and say, you are absolutely right. And be so thankful that you don't have to. Because it is overwhelming for us to try to handle it all. But Christ can handle it. And he promises to give you 
his strength and to not give you anything more than you can handle. And he wants to. He wants to be able to give you that power. Absolutely. What is another one? What about uh, self-injury makes my invisible pain visible? Absolutely. He is before all things and he holds all things together. He sees all things happening. So if you think that all this stuff is just not going seen by anyone, he sees all of it. He knows your heart better than you even know your own heart. You know, for us to be able to put this into words sometimes is very difficult. But he already knows what it is at the core of your heart and what you need. Um, how about it purified me? That's, that's an extremely common one. I'm going to call on someone. Yep, yep. Our own blood has about zero ability to purify us. And this is one of the things that I love, and I hope you caught this earlier, but I'm going to say it again just um, for kicks, is that all other religions, when they're doing this, by the institution of the religion, has demanded that individual's own blood. Okay? So get this, because this is very profound. God, even in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, never once demands the blood of his people. Closest thing is Abraham, right, and Isaac, and what happens? God says, absolutely not. You will sacrifice that lamb, not your son, right? And so constantly God is like, no, not your blood, not your blood. I will provide a way. I will provide these lambs. I will provide these birds. I will provide my own son to purify you and cleanse you so you never once have to sacrifice your own blood. All these other religions, all these other cults, all these other cultures, it's always your own blood to be able to sacrifice for him. And that to me is just like, oh, love it, because it is so profound that Christ has always paid a way for us um, to be able to not have to use our own blood, and that he has already offered that to complete it, that it is finished, and that we no longer have to participate in that. Um, I think on this too, I want people to know that like every one of our emotions were created for a reason, and sometimes this is a big thing that people why people self injure, and I'd love to do a theology of emotions, but not today. But I'll give you one little tidbit: um, is that all? No emotion is bad, right? Anxiety is not a bad emotion, right? God created a, an internal. Um, system within us that says, oh, something's not right, and that anxiety is not a bad emotion. But lots of times we're like, oh, oh, yes it is, you know, and so we try to hide it. What emotion is, what all these sadness, anger, all these different things are, are, are regulatory things, and we need to be able to look at them and say, okay, hmm, I'm feeling anxious. Why is it that I'm feeling anxious? It probably means that something's not right. Whether I want to control a circumstance and I can't, so it's making me nervous, or whatever it may be. No emotion is inherently bad, and they're all created for a reason. And so Christ sees every emotion, and he wants it to find that, find that emotion's anchor in him, so that um, he can be able to use that in the way that he wants to be able to use that. So when people are trying to self-regulate themselves, which I think this probably applies for all of us, right? Because we all find ways to try to balance our emotions and deal with them, and some of them are good and some of them are not. Um, one of the biggest things that we have to do is look that emotion right in the face and say, okay, hi, why are you here, and what is going on, rather than hiding it or numbing it out or finding another way to kind of dead it. Um, is that always fun? Anymore? But that's the work, and that's the way that Christ is able to enter into them and heal them. Uh-huh. All right. Um, this is just an example, too. Um, I believe that Christ, again, is the answer for all these individual things. And so when we look at, you know, when we offer someone Christ and we say, okay, you're experiencing this, that doesn't mean that we're offering them scripture verses like, here is this magical scripture verse, and if you read it, it will boof, heal you. Um, because the scripture verse is not magical, neither are the words, but the power and the person behind it is the thing that can change us, right? And so if we look at Christ as light, and this is one of the biggest things for self-injurers, and I know that this is a huge thing that Linda has even experienced today, is that when you bring things into the light, 
it has a great way of taking the power away from you, right? It's just like I always talk about my clients, anything, any struggle that we have in our life, if you, if you put it underneath this couch over here and it gets a little wet and a little damp and it's cold, what's going to happen? It's going to get moldy and fester and gross and disgusting and it can grow. Anytime that we have issues in our own life and we allow them to stay in the darkness, um, you know, not exposed to anyone and hidden in secret, um, I always tell my clients, secret secrets are no fun, they destroy everyone. Um, and so we have to remember to bring all these different things into the light and be exposing them. Because what if what happened if that moldy corner, you know, and we tore, tore the roof off right here and the light just came onto it? It's just going to kill it right away and it's going to suck it up and it's going to dry it up. And that's the same for all the things that you and I hold in our heart and the same for the things that a, someone who self-injurious holds in their heart. Um, and I love this passage. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. My big thing is, too, uh, in offering them Christ, is offer them the grace that Christ gives us. Because of that shame, because of that condemnation, and I think as Christians, you know, I think that many Christians are so guilty of living in shame and condemnation, when Christ says very clearly, like, there is no condemnation for those. So that burden, that cloud, that darkness, that heaviness that rests upon so many people, um, and that causes, you know, self-injury, addictions, eating disorders, so many different things, depression to continue to kind of spiral around, is the fact that we have absorbed that shame and condemnation and we have allowed it and we have not allowed Christ to enter in that and really feel what it is to be free in that. Now, is it always that easy? No, but sometimes it takes work. Sometimes it takes talking to another person and trudging through that, like, deep mud. All right, so the way that you can be Christ to them, get comfortable with uncomfortable emotions. Like I said, that's hard for lots of us. Okay, you're cutting, duh. I mean, trust me, first couple times I sat with someone and they like, because I always ask to see their cuts and I'm always like, uncomfortable for me even, but we have to be comfortable with them. We have to be able to teach them that it's acceptable. Have those emotions now. Listen to the heart message being communicated. This is very big. Like we said, what is at the heart of what they're trying to seek? What is the attraction? Because in the attraction is also the answer. Not oversimplify or trivialize. Please, 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 please. Not oversimplify or trivialize what's going on. Use faith as a blessing rather than a weapon. Okay, that's why I talked about scripture being like a cookie that you shove in someone's mouth. It's just not going to work. You need to be able to use it as a blessing. Watch out for hypocrisy. Like I said, healthy self-perception, appropriate communication skills, patience, relinquishing or exerting control, healthy boundaries. These are all things that people commonly struggle with. So make sure in your kind of like focus of them and in the kind of picture you build of them that you are not being a hypocrite and dealing with these things in another way. Learn to empathize rather than sympathize, which means to get inside their head rather than assume what you know what they feel. And help them get, this is huge, in my mind, get that professional help and walk with them. Create an environment in which they can grow. And so um, help them, lead them to professional help so that they can understand what that is. And then you stay by them that whole time and encourage them. Two seconds, what is going on that they have to do this to be heard? Our job as parents is to seek is to teach our children to seek our attention and therefore give it to them. And just as you are youth leaders or your parents or your human beings, um, is the fact that like when we're working with people who self-injure, there's something that's going on that they can't communicate or they're not being heard, and we need to teach them like that it's okay to seek our attention and to seek the body of Christ to be able to um, give them a language and a concept to be able to like communicate what it is they're feeling. Many parents make the assumption that their children have a, reached a certain developmental level. Oh, my child is 15, so he is an adolescent. Um, because they sound like it and they look like it, but they often kids, especially, I mean, we run into this in chaos all the time. 
none of it, any of the chaos people who are here, of course. Um, but they look like they're older, but you know they actually don't have the language or concept to be able to express what they, they need. And when people are abused, that's a huge thing that often happens. So I want to end this part, and probably most of it, um, with a song here. Um, and go ahead, Michael, and play that song. This is a song by J.J. Heller. It's called Control. I love it. It's, it's written specifically about cutting. Um, and then on your sheets, you'll find warning signs and different scripture verses that you can also take home. If anyone has any questions, um, please talk to us, and then we'll see if we have one minute for a couple questions at the end. Go ahead. All right, in your packets is this information also. These are some great resources on self-injury. Two of my favorites are Inside a Cutter's Mind. It's right here, this book, and um, a book that I don't see on there. <laughs> it's called His Scars, Your Scars, and it really just totally like matches up side by side. Like the fact that like Christ has these scars on his hands, and what is, how does that match up to your scars going on? So, <gasps> um, have to go to church. So we're not going to do. A was, Sorry, that's that's okay. This was incredibly helpful, and I hope it brought you um, love. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then if you want to talk to Linda or Brianna. Okay, Father, uh, thank you for uh, all people to the ceiling. Pray, Lord, that bring circumstances. I just want to say something that Tourette Love on Her Arms, if you Google it, it's a very neat organization. They sell concerts in order to raise help people have be able to have Christian therapy for um, thank you.